Did you know that women are generally better wine tasters than men? And did you know that in medieval times, people were encouraged to drink beer and wine as opposed to water because it was cleaner and safer? Hello and welcome to TripCast 360, the podcast of lively banter about travel, tourism, and entertainment. I am Michael Gordon-Bennett coming to you from, believe it or not, a muggy Las Vegas, Nevada, where it actually rained yesterday for the first time in a while. And my dear friend Dave Cumberbatch is coming to us from the Big Apple, and he has actually got a little humidity and Vegas heat his way and probably some smoke left over from the wildfires. What's going on, Dave? I don't know, man. I'm tired of this heat now. What's the temperature where you are right now? It's actually not bad. It's in uh, right at 100. Oh, damn. <laughs> I well, almost keep, used... <laughs> <laughs> keep, keep, it, keep, in mind, keep in mind, three weeks ago, it was 115. Wow. Well, you remember, I went to the Bay Area last week, right? And yeah. it was 115 when I left Vegas. When I landed in San Francisco, it was 54 and cloudy. The, the only good thing about that is you can fry your eggs on the sidewalk. Yeah, that's my, that was my dad's thing. I think we used to do that. Some people did that in Florida, but what you don't know is if you fly an egg on a car, it takes the paint off. <laughs> really, <it does. laughs> I, I had some of my childhood friends try that when we were stationed in Florida at, in Panama City. And the boy, they got in a whole bunch of trouble. Glad I wasn't part of the fray. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Hey, man, before we get into today's show, um, what's going on with um, this COVID nonsense uh, here in Nevada? They've reinstituted masks for the employees of places, but not for the tourists, which makes literally no damn sense. Um, you know, Nevada, uh, this is what, July 21st, 22nd, something like that. And we have one of the lowest vaccination rates in the country at 43 percent. And so they they. The governor came out yesterday and said, okay, all the employees got to put a mask on, but the tourists don't. Am I, am I missing something? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense from the tourist perspective, but the numbers don't lie, man. <laughs> they're saying that, uh, they're saying that, I think it's like 97% or thereabout of folks who are catching the Delta variant of folks who are unvaccinated. Yeah, it's it's pathetic. Uh, I don't want to get political on it, but man, go get a damn vaccination, please. I, I, that's, that's as much as I'm going to say. I, I, I am sick of COVID, and it's actually killing the travel and tourism business, too, because we can't travel internationally to some places that we would normally go to because right. they're ha- they have it worse than us. It's keeping me in the office, man. Yeah, well, I'm not going that far. I'm, gonna, <laughs> I'm actually going to uh, join our guest up there in Petaluma and go uh, sip some wine with him. Mm-mm-mm. Anyway. I actually am anxious to get to today's guest. So let me get out the dispense with all the housekeeping notes so we can get started. Um, this TripCast, TripCast360.com podcast is available wherever you get your podcast. I don't care what platform you have. We are on it. But the best place to catch it is on our website at TripCast360.com. That's right. And, uh, you know, we've got we've got a store we're going to open up soon. We've got um, uh, some... Uh, we're actually going to do a little bit of a revamp of our website because our website is more than just uh, the podcast areas. We also have articles and stuff on there, but Dave and I have had a little meeting of the minds and we're going to make a few little adjustments to it. So look forward to that in the coming weeks, a little quicker hitting, a little more, you know, hip, if you will, and trying to appeal to the audience. You know, people don't read, they love video and things like that too. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're going to help them along a little bit. Um, and so that's that. And um, so Dave, tell them about our social media and then we'll get going. Ah, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. Follow us, like us, message us, and tag us. Uh, there's plenty of good stuff there. You'll be happy. Oh, all right. Well, that's cool with me. And like I said, I'm going to keep the uh, intro short, but today's conversation will be about wines. Wines, 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 and wines. Did I say that often enough? Uh, <laughs> and and uh, Agent Crew. AKA Addison Rex, uh, uh, undercover as CEO of Wine Spies, an online wine retailer and e commerce technology company. And that's all I'm going to say because we're going to let him tell the story. He's coming to us from Petaluma, California, and it is about noon on the West Coast. And he's already got a glass of wine in his hand. What's going on, man? <laughs> uh, you know, you never start out the day without wine over here. So cheers. <laughs> Thanks for having me on, guys. I'm still drinking coffee and you got wine. <laughs> I got I got coffee coffee in one hand and wine in the other. <laughs> Actually, this is my official spy mug, my agent crew mug right here. Ooh, I like yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. We, we take that spy game seriously. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, so we're, uh, I'll tell you a little bit about myself. We're uh, the wine spies. We all go by our code names. I'm agent crew. Uh, real name's Addison Rex, but you'd be amazed, man. We're around the office here. We're, we're all our spy names. All of our, uh, all of our customers are called our operatives. So yeah, we basically <laughs> just, uh, we bring a different wine out to folks every day. So every 24 hours, it's a brand new wine goes on the site at a crazy deal. So that's pretty much the the core of it. And uh, that means that we got to taste a lot of wines to make sure we got some good ones lined up for you. Nice, nice. You, it, it, this, this thing about the spy stuff, it's beginning to sound like that old TV show, Cheaters. You, <laughs> you remember the Cheaters operatives? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're actually kind of a little bit man from uncle. Actually, so right now, this is we just bought a new building in Petaluma, and we're about to convert this into a crazy 1960s spy lounge. So you're going to come by here. And, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's going to be cool. We walk into an episode of Man from Uncle or Archer. Tell us how, how you got started. I read you started in, in the family business. You, you rose to general manager. How did you get into the family business in the first place? Well, actually, that's a funny story. So it's actually my dad's brother, uh, my uncle, who's the uh, owner of the winery. And uh, it was my college and career counselor in high school, believe it or not. Uh, I just went to a great uh, public high school and we were talking about career paths, colleges and stuff. And she says, you know, well, what do your family do? I'm like, oh, my dad's an architect. My mom's a writer. She's like, oh, do you want to be an architect? I'm like, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, well, what about aunts and uncles? And, uh, she, and I'm like, well, my uncle's a winemaker. And she's like, did you know you can go to school for that now? Hey, like, wow. I can? Okay. Well, this is the easiest decision I've ever made in my entire life. I'll do that. <laughs> you eventually started uh, Wine Spies. Yeah, well, actually, uh, so my, my business partner founded it, and I joined him uh, several years later. Um, but I did want to say on the family thing, you okay. know, it's really, uh, it's, it's hard. There's so many family wineries and, you know, there's this kind of a double-edged sword because on the one hand, people like a family-owned business and a family-owned winery. It's meaningful to them. And on the other hand, on the inside working for one, you know, it, re it really is quite a struggle to, you know, make it feel like it's, oh, it's just nepotism why this guy got the job. So right. rising in the ranks... I really felt like I had to work twice as hard to kind of constantly be proving myself that I was the guy for the job. So, and I really did start off at the the bottom of the totem pole, uh, scrubbing barrel bungs. What you got to <laughs> do, man? Cellar rat work. I, I, I had a blog for years called Deerfield Cellar Rat, and I did that thing. Um, yeah, and just slowly but surely, you know, over the course of a decade. Is there a direct connection between? Um, your real name, Michael mentioned, is um, Addison Rex. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but at the same time, all your friends know you as Agent Crew. Yeah. Is, there, is, is there a direct connection between Agent Crew and Wine Spies? Uh, so, so you see where for I'm going. Codenames, that's funny you say that because when I, when I joined Wine Spies, I'm like, I, can I be Agent Rex? This is my only chance I'm ever going to get to be Agent Rex. It just sounds so cool. <laughs> and he's like, no, man, you're going to have to choose a codename that's not related. So crew, you know, in, in the French uh, wine ranking system, they've got like Grand Crew and Premier Crew. It okay. basically means the, the top tier. So that's me. <laughs> oh, uh, thanks for the education. No problem. <laughs> I, I, I just learned some. We're done. Goodbye. Anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> nice knowing you. Um, yeah. <laughs> Wine Spies, where did the name come from? I mean, uh, it, it, it's definitely an eye catcher. It got our attention. So where did yeah. it yeah. <laughs> so, so my business partner, uh, Agent Red, started it actually in 2007. So he was a real early pioneer in this uh, basically deal a day flash sale type model for wine is one of the first two sites ever. And the whole idea was, and we still do this to this day, is you know bringing, going on a mission to bring you the best deals. So, and that really is how it works too. I mean, people, because if you go on our website, you, we won't, you, you'll be shocked at the kinds of discounts we have. Like what do we got today? Um, I mean, we just, we're just bringing, we're bringing wines to people at crazy prices. And, and people are like, well, how do you do this? I mean, like, because the wines are really good and it really is just relationships. And he started off by going to the wineries, kicking down doors, you know, and just haggling over a barrel to get the best possible price. Yeah, today's wine 
is a forty-eight dollar, uh, forty-eight dollar wine. We're bringing it to folks today for nineteen bucks. So oh, you know, Cougar's uh, Leap, yeah. Cougar's Leap, yeah, yeah. I'm looking good at juice, it. man. Some real good juice. Yeah, Red Hills is actually an up and coming, uh, up and coming AVA, so we can get a little bit into the wine, wine weeds. Actually, what's crazy is uh, right now I'm drinking my family's wine, which I don't do every day these days. But we're going to be selling this in a few weeks, so I got to give it a proper review. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, you should have ordered us a bottle before we got started, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. No, this I'm, is. I'm this pretty is... sure that can be arranged. Uh, we'll, 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 we'll we'll talk to you in a moment. I'll, 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 uh, off recording. <laughs> Sounds good. No, this is actually pretty cool. I'm looking at it. So you actually have uh, you actually go out and beat the bushes yourself looking for these deals and then offer yeah. them through your platform for uh, a discounted price, which I'm assuming is unique to you guys for however long they're up uh, daily. Yeah, and that's what's cool is it's a 24 hour deal. So you know, one of the things with wineries, and again, you know, I come from the producer side and, you know, my family's winery. So I understand what the tensions are like on the producer side. You don't want to necessarily have your wine out there for a big discount, but for a 24 hour window where our customers get it, it's like tomorrow, this price is going to be gone. You're never going to get it again. So that way it's like, you're not, you're really, you know, people get the idea. It's a limited time thing. So we got people, the first thing they do in the morning is they check their wine spice and see what's up for the day because we do sell out. Yesterday, we actually had two wines sell out back to back. Wow. And before Dave yeah. asks his question, I want to highlight your website. It's called winespies.com, just like it sounds, W-I-N-E-S-P-I-E-S.com because I'm sitting here reading and trying to talk at the same time. And this is awesome because you give us the background of it and the code name here for this one is here, kitty, kitty. Um, (laughs) (laughs) This is this I'm, I'm being straight with you. I'm not doing this just because you're on the show. This is actually one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Oh man. Thank you so much. And and I mean, like if you're, you know, if you're looking at that, that uh, sale today, you scroll down, you look at how much we write. I mean, that's every single day. We write a ton of detail you know, take original photographs, do a detailed wine review and just do a ton of research. And we make it fun. Like we're not, I mean, if you can't tell, we're not super stuffy over here. Just trying to keep it real. I mean, Uh, this is awesome. I mean, you've got the write-up, you've got the look, the smell, the taste, the finish, how it, what it pairs with, which I'm terrible at, by the way, I don't pair wines with the dams. I just drink and eat. So uh, this is actually cool. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I really, I, I really do believe, I mean, my whole wine philosophy is good wine is a wine that you like, you know? So that's, and that really is all there is to it. So and I'll, I will say though, I mean, we probably, yeah, like, so yesterday we tasted 30 wines, I think five are going to make the cut. So, you know, we probably like one out of 10, sometimes one out of 20 is what works for us. So we kiss a lot of frogs to bring you these princes, you know? <laughs> Yeah, but that's you know that's that's really the that's really the challenge of it is is not just finding the deal every day, but finding a really exceptionally good deal. The the, the wine's got to be there quality wise. We never ever sell a wine that we're not completely stoked about. So, in your correspondence to me, you said wine is a very unusual product. It's heavy, yes. fra- fragile, etc. Yeah. Can you can you detail that a bit more? Can you explain that a bit more to us? Yeah, totally. I mean, it's funny because, you know, nowadays people are starting to obviously get more used to buying things online and people really, you know, now in in the Amazon world, two day shipping, et cetera. Mm -hmm. It's hard for people to kind of appreciate how challenging wine is as a product to ship because it's, if you think about it, it's obvious, it's heavy, very heavy. It's fragile because it's these glass bottles. It's it's Mm -hmm. perishable. It can't get too hot or too cold. And it's super highly regulated. So there's all the compliance problems and you have to have someone 21 and up to sign for because it's alcohol. So it's kind of the perfect storm of a challenge to ship to people. Um, so, you know, that is really one of these, you know, big pain points for buying wine online. Um, so one of the things that Wine Spies has done, which is a huge deal, is we create what we call our locker system. Mm-hmm. And with lockers, basically, you can buy one or two bottles of wine at a time, and, and then you basically can accumulate and consolidate a full case, and then that case ships for free. So what's cool about that is if you like today's wine, all right, this Black Rock, you know, normally on another site, okay, I have to buy six bottles to get free shipping. But with us, okay, 19 bucks, I can check that out. I don't know too much about this place, but maybe I like it. 
And then you throw that bottle in your locker. And then over time, you build up that case and you can ship it to you. And it's not just about the free shipping there, which is obviously awesome. But if you buy one bottle of wine online, well, then you got to sit around waiting for this one bottle to show up and make sure your home is signed for it. Um, and so this way, it's just convenient, you know? And chances are it's going to be gone by the time it gets hit your front door anyway, and then you got to start the process all over again. <laughs> yeah, that's true, man. It's, yeah. it's funny because I bring a lot of wine home. Uh, it never seems to last too long in my house. People are like, oh, you must have a huge wine cellar. I'm like, not really. <laughs> How pricey are the wines you sell? You mentioned one that was, I believe you said earlier, $49, and it's going for like $19. And the reason I'm asking that several years ago, I was in the Bahamas and I visited a wine cellar there, very famous, called Greycliff. And they had a bottle of German wine priced at $200,000. Holy. Woo! That's a, that's, a, that's a low whistle right there. I don't know if I can even do that a proper low whistle enough for that. I mean, and Dave's not even doing it justice because there's actually a couple of bottles more expensive than that down there. Wow. Well, I mean, there's certainly such thing. I mean, well, first of all, when wine gets to be that expensive, it's purely a, you know, collector's item and people do oh. buy wine to invest all the time. And, and it's not even necessarily a bad investment. Um, you know, a friend of mine got three bottles of a vertical of Chateau de Chem, which is probably one of the most famous uh, dessert wines in the world. Yeah. Um, and he bought those three bottles. They're like 1800s, like, you know, 1872, 1873, 1874. He bought them for a couple hundred thousand dollars um, and he just sold at auction for a million bucks. So, oh. you know, when you're talking about wine at that level, though, it's I mean, first of all, if you open that bottle and drink it, <laughs> you know, you better have some of that Bezos spaceship money. <laughs> like, <you know? laughs> or, or get on his donor list for a hundred million dollars. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Can you really tell the difference between a uh Merlot and a uh Cabernet. Can you yeah, really some, so, tell the difference? So sometimes it's more obvious than others. Um some wines are a lot closer together, um, makes it a little bit harder, but some wines are like very distinctive and it's pretty easy. So I mean, if you were to pour me, so like uh, so this actually this this wine right here says Cabernet. I don't know if it's mm -hmm. backwards for you, it's Cabernet on the front. No, I can, I can see it, yeah. Actually, it's uh, the blend on this is Cabernet, Merlot, Cab Franc, Zinfandel, Syrah, Petit Verdot, which is um, wow. a crazy blend. But really, my point is, is there's some like grapes, like the Bordeaux grapes, like Cab, mm. Cab Franc, Merlot. Yeah, they're all distinctive, but it would be harder to tell the difference between those. Now, if mm -hmm. you poured me a big, honking, juicy California Zinfandel, and then you poured that next to, you know, a Burgundy Pinot. I'd be like, this one's Pinot, that one's in. I'll get that right all day long. So it really, it really depends, you know, on the specific grape. Some are more noticeable than others for sure. And then it depends how, you know, your skill level. I mean, people, I mean, it's crazy. And, and our wine buyer is at the level, he's the kind of guy where he'll taste the wine and he'll tell you where in the world it's from, probably around what year, sometimes even be able to get close to the producer. So yeah, it, it is possible. Where, where do you, do you source your wines from all over the world, the ones that you offer on Wine Spies? Uh, or is this more of a U.S.-centric thing? Primarily, probably California, but I'm guessing you, you're you sourcing them everywhere. Yeah, actually, so it used to be back in the day, it was it was a lot more domestics, a lot more just our little neck of the woods here, Sonoma and uh, Napa. But we've been branching out for sure. And now uh, we're pretty much like, I would say 30% imports. Um and then most of the imports are coming to us through our distributors here. But what we're just starting to do, and this is really exciting, it, it, just this year, actually, we branched out and doing some direct imports. So that means we're, we are actually kicking down doors overseas, you know, going to France, going to Italy, checking it out um, and, and finding some, some great exclusive deals that aren't anywhere else in the United States and bringing those back. So that's, that's been really fun. And, uh, you know, as we've kind of grown and it's been a you know, it's been quite a ride the past couple of years. As we've grown, we've definitely noticed that there's uh, there's more interest in 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 imports, and it's and it's funny because there's you know there's people that all they like is Italian wine, and there's people that you know all they'll drink is like you know Burgundy or white Burgundy, and so me, <laughs> you know, I did not I did not care for Italian wines, even though that's my, that's my cultural background. <laughs> 
And it's like, and one of the jokes around here is they're trying to find a wine that Asian crew likes. <laughs> That's from Italy. <laughs> I'm like, no, this isn't either. I just, you know, growing up out here in Sonoma, that's just so my palate. I like them bigger. I like them juicier. I like them fresher. So, you know, it's kind of hard for me to wrap my mind around the, uh, the other thing, the, you know, the, the, the more, uh, I don't know how to put it without being offensive to the Italians. <laughs> uh, go ahead and offend them. <laughs> A little funkier. How about that? <laughs> that that'll work. Yeah. That will absolutely work. Hey, I have a, question for you and this is there seems to be a lot of people who are all of a sudden getting into the wine on the business side i yeah. mean i i knew for like when i was growing up mario andretti the race car driver had uh some vineyards up in the uh, bay area but then all of a sudden in the last couple of years lebron james Dwayne yeah. wade uh, channing fry all these nba players of all of it's like they all of a sudden discovered the wine game yeah no doubt i mean I mean, it's just, it's, that's an obvious answer. It's just glamorous, you know, it's like, and, and it looks a lot more glamorous from the outside than inside. Believe me. I mean, people get into it and then just like, Oh, I mean, even Nicki Minaj had that mixed brand yeah. and then, you know, and, <laughs> Oh, Oh, uh, what's her name? One of the desperate housewives Vanderpump. And she like went like whole hog. She got into it and tried to really do it. And then the funny thing is, you know, oh, uh, Cameron Diaz last yeah. year uh, started her own Aveline brands. And the thing is, is these things come and go so fast because they're like, oh, wouldn't it be cool to own a winery? And then they're like, oh, wait, like, this is really hard. <laughs> <laughs> There's work to be done here. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a lot like, you know, the restaurant thing. Oh, wouldn't it be cool to have my own restaurant and just come in and sit at my table? But it doesn't work like that. You know? <laughs> For folks who listen to our show a lot, we are constantly talking. Michael's, Michael's always giving me a hard time about adult beverages. And that's the really strong stuff. Yeah. And even, even though we are talking about two products completely, I have a question for you. Why do, why do I get headaches when I drink wine? I know why I get headaches when I drink rum. Yeah. <laughs> but, but why do you get headaches when you drink wine, even though they're two separate products? Yeah, well, I mean, this is hotly debated. Uh, actually, it's funny with the clean the clean wine controversy that came up because of that Cameron Diaz wine. So my family's winery, uh, Deerfield, uh, we pioneered the whole clean wine thing. It's funny. We actually, it's become, again, really hotly debated. Um, actually, we have a trademark on the term clean wine even. So we've been doing it for over 10 years. There's a lot... Like people used to say, oh, it's the tannin in wine, which isn't in everything. But then you're like, well, why does other things that have tannins give you a headache? Mm -hmm. So I, I personally believe it's either it's two things. Some people are specifically allergic to histamines and red wines and that, mm. are, that are more common in red wines. Um, and part of it, you know, the fermentation, I mean, it's kind of a messy process. Mm -hmm. um, like it's a very organic thing. It literally is just like a bunch of squished fruit that's just doing its thing. And it is, it's filtered, sterile filtered at bottling. So there's not any, like nothing alive in it at that point. Um, if it is filtered, which almost all wines are. Um, but there are different like, um, organic molecules that have been created in the process that are pretty unique. And that's why, um, you know, I, I do think that is some people have an allergy for kind of a red wine that, um, that can be kind of, uh, that kind of can be, uh, Depending on how the wine is made, we actually put put clean wine right there on the side of the bottle. Oh yeah, because okay. we have a special process that we use um, to try to eliminate those those histamines. The other that that's a little bit more controversial. The other thing which I know is true is the sulfites. So, and you've probably seen contained sulfites. Um, what you don't need is you don't need a wine that has no sulfites. You don't need that. Uh, it's crucial to the winemaking process. And if you've ever had a wine that's no sulfites, it's a good chance it's disgusting. <laughs> and there's a reason for that. It, it just goes bad. It's a, it's a crucial preservative. But what they do is, is that they're rather kind of be safe than sorry. So they're just like, oh, just hit it with a ton of SO2. They just put a shitload in there. And then, it, and then what happens is the purpose of the SO2 is, is that it, it eats up the, the dissolved oxygen that's already gotten into the wine. Like when you like switch this glass, you're, you're trying mm -hmm. to introduce oxygen into it, but 
that in the winemaking process, that's bad. You don't want that at that time. Mm. So, so SO2 is a way of basically it goes in and it literally it eats up the, the dissolved oxygen. What happens is, is that they put in so much that it goes and does its job. There's no more oxygen left over, but then there's a, there's a bunch of SO2 that left over more than it was needed to do its job. And it's that leftover stuff that if they had too much, it definitely gives you a headache. And like I said, we taste like 30 different wines. If I taste a wine, a wine I know right away, this wine had really, really high parts per million of sulfur in it. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, so, so one thing you can do, just a simple trick is, if you just open, if you open a bottle of wine, you can just kind of either decant it or even just like, like pop a bottle. Decanting it is good, pour it in something else. Or if you just pour a glass, just like let it sit there, give it a swish and let it sit there for like 10 minutes. I guarantee you that that parts per million will drop, drop super fast. So, yeah. I've been to several wine cellars and uh, the ones I haven't been to, I've seen on, on uh, television. Also, my little wine cooler at home. Yeah. Um, all of the shelving is done in such a way that the wine bottles are stored on the side. Yeah. Is there a specific reason for that? Or is that just a matter of spacing? No, no, there is a very good reason for it. So uh, it really only matters if you're keeping a bottle of wine for years. But the cork, if you have it like this, it doesn't come in contact with the liquid and it will dry out. And then the, it oh. will lose the seal. And so by keeping on its side, it just keeps the end of that cork wet. And so it keeps it, it keeps it expanded. Um, that's it. So it really, but it really only matters if, if you're aging the wine for like, let's say a couple of years, you know, the cork's not going to dry out in a year. So that's, that's the reason why I have a yeah. good, um, I have a very good friend and he tells me all the time, any wine that you purchase that doesn't have a cork is not wine. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, that's, that's another really funny one. I mean, so the truth <laughs> is actually is that the screw caps work extremely well. Um, and they, they've, the, they've come a long way. And for about 10 years now, the technology has been perfect. They have little inserts. That's a membrane and it actually replicates the job that a cork does, which is letting microscopic amounts of oxygen through over time. And the wine needs that to age properly. So the whole thing about screw caps is, is that it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's like people think that there's no good wine has a screw cap on it. So they're not going to spend money like a top dollar on a wine with a screw cap. So mm. then the producer is like, if they make good wine, they're not, they're like, well, I'm not going to put my wine with a screw cap because then no one's going to buy it. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a self-fulfilling cycle like that. Whereas, and, and interestingly, the Australians, they kind of broke the cycle because somehow it just got into the public conscience that like, oh, we can have $150 wine with a screw cap. So in Australia, they'll put their top echelon expensive wines in the bottle with a screw cap. And, you know, over there, no one has any problem with it. And from a logical perspective, they're absolutely right. There's nothing wrong with the screw cap. And it, I've personally done the tests myself, bottling a specific wine with the screw cap, bottling it with a cork. They perform just as well. But let me tell you something, man. Pop. Oh, yeah. That's how we do it. That's how we do it. You know, it's just, now he's just, now, now he's just rubbing it in. <laughs> but i mean you just can't beat it like <laughs> i will educate my friend i i have to educate my friend on that um so far we've been talking about wines in a general sense let's get a little bit more granular now the term i used earlier in terms of the difference between a red wine a white wine and let's get into the types of wines that you peer you know that whole that that whole yeah. pairing uh, thing that they do. All right. Well, the, the difference between red wine and white wine is simple. Uh, red wine is wine that's fermented with the skins and white wine is not. So, I mean, that's a very general rule of thumb. Um, you can actually believe it or not, you can make a white wine out of red grapes. So, yeah. So, and so what they do is just right when they pick the grapes, they just squish the grapes and they get all the juice out and then they ferment the juice separately from the skins. So red wine um, is made with red grapes, but the big difference is, is that they're fermented. They, 
there's a lot of times you kind of crush the grapes up to get the juice out, but then you just let it sit in the tank with the, the grape skins. Um, and that's, that's the, uh, that's the basics. Um, and then, you know, you got, you got rosé, which is, you know, the pink stuff. And there's a couple different ways to make it actually, uh, which you don't need to get into. And then you got sparkling, uh, wines and there's a couple different processes for that. Um, but typically it's, it's what's really different about champagne when it's done traditionally is that the wine, they actually, it's fermented in the bottle. So they squish the grapes, they put the juice in, they put a special stopper on it. It's actually a lot of times just a bottle cap. And then it's fermented inside the bottle. And that's why it stays bubbly. Um, so those are the main ones. And then the whole thing with pairing is, you know, it's funny. I'm, so I'm, I'm pretty casual about wine, as you might be able to tell. Um, <laughs> no, nah, we, didn't, we didn't notice. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and like, you know, I used to really not believe at all in, uh, in pairings. And then one day, man, I don't even like Chardonnay. I hate Chardonnays. I'm just, I'm a, I'm an ABC guy, anything but Chardonnay. Um, <laughs> and Italians. <laughs> and Italians, that's right. ABCI. Uh, but, but I'll tell you the one time that I, I was, I, I saw the light. I was converted. I was made to believe. Um, I had uh, just fresh caught Dungeness crab with just so much butter on it. And I had a sip of Chardonnay to wash it down with. And oof, I mean, I saw the light right then and there. I'm like, okay, pairings are a real thing. It is, it is possible that, you know, the food and the wine has got this synergy where it's just greater than the sum of its parts. And there's some magic going on in your mouth. Um, and, you know, in a real pairing, it should actually be, you know, you, you, you take a bite of food, chew, but then, you know, pretty much swallow, but then really like right, right after hit it with the wine and then it should kind of really mix in the, in your palate on, you know, in your mouth. And, and if it's a real pairing, it should do something interesting and it shouldn't just be like, Oh, that's good. You know, like that's really not what a true pairing should be. So, and there's, there are definitely like, you know, simple rules of thumb. It's like all right, fish and white wine. Usually, uh, you know, you're not going to want to drink, white wine with spicy food. So you don't Thai food, Indian food, they usually put with a white wine. Um, and that's the, that's the thing about the Italian wines is, uh, they always, every single time I drink a wine, I'm like, ah, an Italian, I'm like, not, not feeling it. My, uh, my fellow agents here at wine spies, they're always like, Oh, well, this is a food wine. You have to have this wine with food. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, <laughs> I kind of feel like you should be able to sit here and drink the glass of wine, but what they're trying to say there is, is that, you know, there's certain wines that the way it's constructed because of the acidity, when you drink it alongside that pasta dish, like the butter, for example, that softness, the, the wine complements it and it kind of makes it like a, a more whole experience, you know, but that's, a, that's really more of the Psalm side, the sommelier side. So, you know, really in the whole wine world, there's like the grape growers and they're real farmers. There's the, like, the, the winemakers and they're kind of like, think of them more like cooks, you know, they're like chefs. Um, and, and then they're, and it's a little bit more chemistry. There's, uh, the sommelier side, which is really, there's all this stuff about, um, you know, pairings, the wines of the world, all that stuff. And then there's the business side and they're really different disciplines. They kind of all come together for the whole thing, but usually you find people kind of gravitate to one of these areas. So my background is a lot more on the winemaking side and production and then the wine mm -hmm. business side. What, what determines a wet wine from a dry wine? And, and the reason I'm asking that question is my girlfriend loves Merlot, but they seem to be, the, at least the ones she's picking, seem to be typically drier. Yeah. So what is the, uh, kind of tell us about the process, but more importantly, kind of tell us like where that dividing line is. Where do I go from a dry wine to something a, sweet, a little to, more? To something uh, a bit sweeter. Something sweet or maybe a little fuller. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, That's so that was the confusion. So wet, dry is for Mark teenies when that's uh that's more vermouth or less vermouth or, or more right. other stuff um and then for wine the dryness is driver sweet um and it really is just that simple it's just sugar and uh, and it's and it's it, it's so simple that there's actually just a super quantifiable measurement of sugar it's grams per liter so and it, and it really is as simple as there's this much sugar so what you know wine is a fermented alcohol so you take the sugar that's in the fruit and it gets converted to alcohol. So 
the drier it is, the more that sugar was turned into alcohol and there's no sugar left over. So if it's bone dry, it means that pretty much a hundred percent of that sugar was used up and turned into, and turned into wine. Now in practice, you know, basically like sweet wine. And again, again, seriously, to each their own. If you like sweet wine, power to you. If you love Italian wines, power to you. There's a lot of people out there, you know, yeah. an entire country. <laughs> but, you know, so if you like sweet wine and that's your jam, that's beautiful. Tends to be like, you know, kind of on the finer wine spectrum, they, they are, you're looking for a drier wine. Um, in reality, there's, there's a little bit of sugar in there where you wouldn't even say it's sweet at all, but really there's a kind of this, you know, chemical chemistry magic going on where you need a tiny bit of sugar to actually balance it out. And if it truly had like, you know, 0.3 grams per liter sugar, which is almost completely bone dry, it would be considered bone dry. It's pretty drying. And what happens is, so, so, okay. So here's the simplest way to understand wine. There's five, there's five things. There's, there's sugar, there's alcohol, there's tannin, um, there's, and there's fruit, which is kind of like a little bit more of a tricky thing to, to wrap your head around. But essentially, if the, if those things, what you want is for them to kind of roughly be in balance. So, so tannin is the thing that makes you go, it makes, it's the drying, it dries your mouth out, you know? Mm-hmm. Alcohol is obvious, just alcohol. And if it's high or low, it makes a big difference on your palate. Like you'll notice if it, if it's, if it's high alcohol, it'll taste, we call it hotter, it tastes warm. So really like no matter what, like I would say a, a wine is a good wine from an objective standpoint. If, if there's no flaws, like there's no, there's certain, there's certain compounds in a wine that just make it objectively. Oh, there was a problem with this wine. Like if it had volatile acid in it, if it had a specific type of bacteria in it, um, like, you know, sour beer, that's a, that's sour beer. That's actually a bacteria that they purposely put in it. But if you found that in wine, you'd be able to objectively say, oh, this had Brett in it. It's flawed. So, so a wine is a good wine if it has no flaws and those kind of those four attributes are roughly in balance, roughly. Mm. And if that's the case, you know, you can have subjective opinion on top of it, but at least the winemaker didn't, didn't mess up their job. They did a good job, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, how do you take it in, into consideration whether the harvest is sweet, the grapes are sweet, or they're not so sweet? Actually, this is a so so this is a super interesting question in that. Uh, well, I think I think part of what you might be asking is like, how do you like 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 how is each harvest going to be different? Yeah. So that that's a complex question about about weather patterns, and a lot of times it translates pretty directly into how much you know how 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 many hot days there were in the year. That's the uh, kind of good, good rule of thumb. Like how early in the season did it start getting hot and how long did it stay hot for? But I mean, everything goes into it, like how much rain there was in the, in the wet period, it all matters. But I think the interesting part of the question is, is like, how do you know when the grapes are kind of ready? So, so like when you're picking, this is really, really interesting. So when you, know, like I was saying earlier, the sugar is what turns into alcohol. So a super crucial so, so when the grapes are hanging there on the vine every single day, building sugar, building sugar, building sugar, building sugar, that's what's happening. So you have to decide eventually to pick it and you don't want the wine too sweet. Cause what happens is, is that all that sugar is going to get turned into alcohol. Well, you can't just have a crazy amount of alcohol. It has to be reasonable. It'll actually, it won't even work. The ferment, the, the alcohol can get so high. It can actually kill the yeast that's doing the fermenting. So you basically, you have to cut it off at a certain point. We, have, we call the measure of sugar in the grapes, we call it bricks, okay? But, but what's interesting about the question is you'd think it would be as simple as just going out in the vineyard every day and measuring for sugar. But what's crazy is, is that there's so many other flavor uh, molecules like anthocyanins, all these different, all these different flavor compounds that the wine, the grape, the grape, it might be at the right sugar level, but it might not taste right. And so a big job of the winemaker is to walk through the vineyard damn near every day when it's that time of year. And in the morning, taste the grapes, eat them. 
And what you're, what you're hoping, and it's not always the case, you're hoping that when the sugar is at the exact right level, you really hope that you taste that great. And you're like, damn, that is delicious. That's what you want, you know? And, uh, and, the, and, and what's funny about wine grapes, like they're so tasty that you're like, why don't they make these <laughs> like, and put them in the grocery store? If I was at Safeway, I'd buy these every day. And the reason is because if they're at Safeway, it'd be like 40 bucks a pound because it's a lot more, more valuable to turn them into wine than it is. But wine grapes are absolutely delicious, man. And so what you're looking for is that, that flavor where it's just like, you know, it's just the best fruit you've ever tasted and the sugar is the right level. Yeah, I mean, I mean, and I can see, I can really see the importance of this because if I'm, if I'm purchasing a specific brand, I'm expecting some consistency. I'm expecting mm-hmm. that taste today and I'm expecting that same taste 10 years from now. Yeah. How do you, how do you maintain that consistency and taste? That, that's one of the, I mean, that's a great question. That's one of the uh, real challenges of, of, of wine as a product. Um, and it's also what makes it special. I mean, so when, what I mean by that is, you know, if you find a beer that you like, you love Lost Coast, you love Great White, you know, right. you, you go to the store and that beer is going to taste the same the on same. a Monday or a Tuesday, you know. But the thing is, is that wine, because it's this crazy thing made from fruit instead of made from grains, you cannot replicate it. Mother Nature, you never know what it's going to do. She's going to have good years and she's going to have bad years. So, you know, one of the things, uh, this is such a complex question because, you know, it really gets down to philosophy of wine. You might've heard about natural wine. Mm -hmm. Um, And that whole idea is like, just let the wine be a reflection as close as possible of whatever that grapes are speaking to you. So that, that also means if it was kind of a shit year, well then guess what? Maybe your wine's not so good either. (laughs) And they're like, and their whole attitude is like, ah, that's what that, that, that is what it is, man. Like, but also please buy our wine. (laughs) You know. But and, but could you scale so, down? Is it possible to scale down when you when when you when you have a bad year? Uh, well, I mean that maybe. But then again, if you're buying grapes from somebody else and you've got this close relationship with your grape grower, and you're like, "Hey, buddy, sorry, your grapes suck this year. I'm just not buying from you." You know, it's all about yeah. relationships. So, right. so, so then my my uncle's philosophy. So this is like I was saying, this is a Cabernet Sauvignon. The, the rules are it has to have 75% at least to put it on the front like that. Most people do not put the blend on the back. Usually they'll just tell you it's cab and you have yeah, no idea. I, I've never it. seen the blend on the back of a blend. <laughs> yeah. So my uncle's been doing this for 30, 38 years and it's highly unusual. But one of the reasons we do it is because we like to say like, hey, here's what you're drinking because we're proud of our approach. So you ask, how do you make it consistent year over year? So my uncle has a very different philosophy and specifically what he tries to do is go for that consistency and repeatability over time. So how does he do that? He says, throws the rule book out the window and says, I'm going to go for a certain taste. And so it's kind of like we were talking about the different grapes have different flavors to them. They hit the Mm -hmm. palate in different areas. Well, he'll basically try to say, I want this kind of wine. And then he'll basically, he's like a little chemist tasting the different wines and it says, Oh, this one's a little bit sweeter. Oh, this one's got a little bit more of that cherry thing I'm looking for. And then every single year, instead of following a formula, it changes. So this year, I mean, it's actually a crazy blend in that this has uh, Zinfandel and Syrah. Those two grapes are typically not found in a Bordeaux blend. They're like, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a cardinal sin or something not to do that. And he's not only doing that, but he's telling you about it because he's like, yeah, I'm tr- I, I, every time you buy a Deerfield, I kind of want you to have an expectation that it's going to taste a certain way. So that's one way that winemakers can try to achieve consistency year over year um, is basically through through the blending process. And that's a, and that's a very good thing. Um, but yeah, it gets back to the question of philosophy. And, and that's actually one of the hardest parts about the wine industry is you know, and like if, if a whole vintage gets a bad name, like people are like, oh, 2011 sucked, which for a lot of wineries, it did suck. Um, mm-hmm. Well, let's say that you're, you're Robert Rex and, you know, you have this, this blending approach and you can make a good wine in a bad year for that reason. Well, no one wants to buy your wine because it's 2011, even though yours is good, you know? So this is one of the many, many reasons why, uh, why those, 
why those uh, LeBron James wineries don't you tend to you know stick around for too many years. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm going to be curious to see the evolution of this in a few years because uh, I, I think your earlier point about they like the glamour of it, but when they realize how hard work it, is, how much hard work it is, uh, they kind of change their tune. And I was listening to Dwayne Wade talk about this a couple of weeks ago. He actually has gone and visited his wineries and watch the grape growing process and he's trying to learn, but I don't think a lot of these guys are going to hang in there that long once they figure out how, how difficult it is. Yeah, totally, man. And I mean, like, it's just a really hard game. There's a ton of competition. There's very low margins. It's super hard to do. The main thing that kills you is like, yeah, just that inconsistency between year over year. Um, and you know, it's, it's yeah. And there's so much competition. It's really, really tough. Um, and honestly, like wine spies genuinely helps people out because you know, we run a sale for 24 hours and we cut a huge check for, for that producer. Um, and that can be a real lifesaver, especially in this, in the slow months, you know, where there's not a lot of, not a lot of, um, people visiting the winery. Um, actually here, before I let you guys go here, I'll give you my hot travel tips for wine country. Okay. Well, I was just going right. to really ask you about that. So go <laughs> right on. <laughs> I was just thinking of wine tourism. So hit us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so the big thing is, I mean, I can tell you specifically about Napa and Sonoma. Um, first of all, Napa and Sonoma, a lot of people don't realize are right next to each other. Like the two valleys are parallel. Um, people think they're a lot farther away than they are, but they're not. Um, so, you know, and Napa costs literally three times as much as Sonoma. So I'm a Sonoma boy. I'm going to say Sonoma until I die. So it's definitely, um, and, and a lot of people do say that it, you know, they, I've got people that have come to wine country for decades and they were going to Napa every year. Then they started going to Sonoma. And it really is quite true that, you know, it's just a much more laid back, fun, relaxed atmosphere. So, you know, if that's the kind of ambience you want, I definitely recommend checking Sonoma out over Napa. If you've, if you've not done that before, that being said, I mean, we sell a lot of Napa wine on wine spies. Cause I'll tell you, yep, there's no getting around the bush, man. There's some extremely nice Napa Cabernet. So um, the, so the main advice I have is that people don't realize how big these, these areas are, particularly Sonoma County. It's a huge County. And the, the number one rookie mistake people make is, is they're like, Oh, I'm going to Sonoma. Let me pick a few Sonoma wineries. And they don't realize how far away from each other they are. Yep. So, so don't do that. And then they try to overbook stuff. So the wineries take much longer than you think that they will. So instead of trying to book like, you know, four or five wineries for a day, don't do that. Book three um, and then make sure you're picking one area. So in uh, it, it's made a little bit easier because the regions all have names. So there's like Sonoma Valley, there's Dry Creek Valley, there's Alexander Valley, there's Carneros, there's Russian River. So you should pick the region that you want to focus on for the day. And you can do different regions on different days. Just don't do try to go to in the same day, a bunch of different regions. So, and, you know, and in every single one of these regions, there's like, there's like 200 freaking wineries. So it's like, you know, it's not, <laughs> you've got your plenty to choose from. So pick one and, uh, you know, pick the kind of, you can start with, if you know, have an idea of the wine you like, there's a, basically an area for it. So Russian river is the Pinot area. Dry Creek is the Zen area. Alexander Valley is the cab area. Sonoma Valley is kind of like the red Bordeaux blends area, but we do a lot of different things. Well, um, so pick, you can kind of pick it that way and then stay there. Um, and then the other thing I'll say is, and it's kind of unfair, but it's kind of true. There is a weird inverse relationship between how pretty and how cool the winery is and looks and how good the wine is. <laughs> I, 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 I think you tend to find, and that's just because like, it's just a fact. It's really, really, really hard to make great wine at scale. So a lot of times when the place gets big enough, they can afford the bougie tasting room. They're also paying less attention in the, in the barrel room, you know? So, so what I recommend is, you know, pick, pick, if you're, if you're into going wine tasting for the wine, Put one bougie place that you want to, you know, sit and see the vineyards and like, oh, here's my, uh, and my family's winery has a cave. So go see the cave. It's awesome. You know, go see the cave. It's, it's super cool. But also make sure to include a couple of the really small dinky tasting rooms. They might not have a super awesome ambiance, but damn, that's where you're going to find the best wine. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Petaluma is off the 101 freeway, about an hour, hour and a half north of San Francisco. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. It's, yeah. it's right off. The, it's right off the freeway. So if you cross the Golden Gate Bridge, that's the one on one freeway. Yeah, that's the one on one, and yeah, that's. Okay. Uh, I was born and raised right there at the at the base of the one on one, the bridge in Sausalito. Oh wow! Um, yeah, Sitting and if you on the dock of Bay, actually, this is crazy. So that song, swear to God, I grew up on a houseboat. Otis Redding wrote that song on my dock. On that, on oh, my he dock. did. Okay, really? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's why I sang it because I knew exactly yeah. where the uh, dock was. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Crazy, huh? Yeah, um, it is. But but yes, so one hour, one hour north gets you there, and uh, you know, and then that's the thing is if you if you want to like stay in San Francisco, the wine tasting makes an awesome day trip. You know, really, it's super easy to do uh, wine country from San Francisco, uh, and you know, if you want to get. Hotels, I don't necessarily recommend the hotels up here because they're kind of few and far between. I mean, they're pricey, but they're they're all nice. It's just they're just all booked because there's too few of them. So Airbnb is always a good way to go, you know. Okay, nice, nice, nice. Two two short questions I have for you, and I'm not gonna add any body or context to the questions. Got I'm it. Gonna, I'm gonna make it short. Um, why why do wine pros flirt? And why do they? Sh- why uh, do yeah. They, why? Yeah. Why do they twirl? Why do they? Why do they twirl the wine in the glass as well? Is is there a method to that, or is there any substance yeah. to that? No, nah, it's funny, man. It's um, it really, it sounds so stupid. It sounds like you're hitting <laughs> the bong, but <laughs> yeah. I mean, l- let me tell you that it actually does make a difference. I swear, it's it's so the, the, it's all about air, man. It's all about air, and it's crazy because. During the winemaking process, air's the enemy. And then when when it's in your glass, uh-huh. air is your friend. So, you know, we swish it because we're basically trying to mix it with, with oxygen. That's the whole point. And let me tell you, it makes a huge difference. And, and, and I mean, anyone can do this at home with any bottle of wine. Basically, pop a bottle, put two glasses, take one of them, drink it right away come back to the other one, leave it there for 30 minutes or an hour mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then try it. And you'll see like, they taste so different. It's crazy, you know, or, or, or a better way to do that test is to pour, say I have two glasses, pour, pour, pour one glass and then just, just, just walk away and then come back and then, and then pour another glass. And so now you have a fresh pour and then you have one that's been sitting out and then try them side by side. Yeah, you'll notice the difference for sure. I, I've done that by accident and didn't know why. You just gave me the science behind it. I get it now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And we, what we say is we say it opens up. It opens up. And it's really hard to like describe it. But, you know, that's really what it is. It just tastes more. It tastes bigger. It tastes more full. It tastes more rich. <laughs> I uh, thought you told me, Michael, by accident, you put ice in your wine glass. No, no, oh, no, no, I, no, no. Anybody who anybody puts ice in an I, I, uh, uh, glass needs to be beaten. <laughs> yeah, it's, especially the, red, the red wine is definitely a little cringe-inducing. Um, but, you know, it's funny, man. It, it gets hot up in Sonoma. And my aunt, you know, she's the winemaker's wife. And she's definitely been known to pop a few uh, glasses of ice in her, in her Chardonnay and her rosé. Uh, I, can, I, can't, I can't talk to her. No, 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 no. <laughs> That's funny. People look at her sideways. She's like, well, it's my winery, so I'm <laughs> Hey, I have a question to ask you. Um, uh, we've heard about the two types of wine you don't like. Tell us what you do like. Yeah, I'm so I see this is, this is what I'm saying. It's like you can be, I, I like to call myself pretty basic in this regard. Like I, I like big California juicy fruit bomb Zinfandel, man. Like that's my thing. I, you know, when I, when I'm doing the, the wine tasting, I typically head up to dry Creek cause that's where you find them. And, uh, you know, I'm okay with them being 16, 17, 18% alcohol. <laughs> and I mean, you know, honestly, it's so just like, I just like, um, I, yeah, I, I like, I like, it's got that intense flavor. I like that. It tastes fresh and juicy. I like it when it tastes like, you know, more like fruit and less like earth. Uh, but to each their own, you know. Uh, but I also I dig I dig a really nice cab. I dig a red blend. Um, I actually really like Pinot also. So uh, actually, oh hey, my favorite grape. This has kind of been like a new like uh, awakening for me. It's it's got a silly name, but uh, it's awesome. It's called Charbono. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Charbono. <laughs> yeah, and it's also the it's the same grape that is super popular. It's like the table wine in Argentina called Bernarda. 
it's the same wine and it just has um the super crazy i love like floral tasting things like i like teas that have floral stuff i like you know like rose flavored things um i like elderflower flavored things so this uh this this wine just has a super distinctive um floral thing kind of tastes like uh, gardenias or like jasmine and i'm just like oh i love it so whenever i can find a good one that really has that to it oh i'm like i'm in heaven that's my thing oh okay yeah we're, we're, we're going to have to take this podcast on the road. So, uh, you know, Dave doesn't get out here all that often, but I'm a California boy. So we're going to have to get up there and pay you a personal visit and do some drinking and podcasting on location. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. Come and see me, man. I, the acoustics in the cave are legit. So uh, <laughs> I, love it. I, love, I it. love that. <laughs> we, we just talked about your product, of course, which is the wine and you're offering these amazing discounts. But te- tell us what, is in store. Is there anything else planned that you have for your? Well, uh, I am super happy you asked that because the timing is couldn't be better. We've actually been working on an entirely new relaunch of uh, of Wine Spies, which drops uh, August second. So it's it's a total redesign of the site. It's awesome. It's so much better than it's ever been before. And we're adding a crazy new feature called um, the Vault. And that's basically one bottle of wine you can choose. One bottle of wine, you pay 20 bucks. And basically, it's roulette. You don't know what you're going to get. It's going to be worth at least $20, but it could be a $100 wine, $200 wine, $300 wine. Um, so that's that's an awesome new feature that we're really stoked about. Wow. And uh, and we're, we're rolling out our own uh, Wine Spies brand called Enigma, which is really interesting. Um, nice. Yeah, and that's a whole story in and of itself. But they're basically just uh, like, oh, there's all these orphan wines where there's this wine in the barrel and, you know, the winery doesn't want to bottle it for X, Y, Z reason. They don't need it. And that that wine often gets bottled um, under a different label. And so Enig- the Enigma Project is trying to bring you these wines from just the most famous winemakers. But we are literally under an NDA. We can't tell you who it is. So our first wine, probably made by one of the most famous winemakers in the world, and that is getting released um, August second as well. So that's a big project. Yeah. Nice, nice. Oh, and in general, so and then to celebrate the launch of the new site again, August second for two solid weeks. I mean, we do a different deal every day, but we are bringing out part of our next gen launch party. We're bringing out, I mean, two weeks of the craziest deals we've ever done in the history of the company, which is this fifteen year old company, and these are going to be the best deals we've ever done. So check it out. That's one of your locker. By by a strange coincidence, this podcast is actually going to air on August 2nd. No, yes, that is awesome. <laughs> That's why you saw me looking at my calendar. So exciting. I, 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 no, I'm so thrilled. We've been working on this for literally like 18 months. And we, this is all designed to come together for August 2nd. So the timing is so exciting for that. We're calling it our next generation launch party. And it's a big deal for us. Um, and we've also got an awesome new commercial dropping that day. So we got a feature length commercial. It's going to be, it's going to oh be Oh my God. All, yeah. right, all right. Here's what you got to do. And I'm saying this live on the air. We can edit it later or leave it in. I don't really give a damn. Um, I want the commercial. I want all your promotion materials because we, we will actually promote this pod, podcast in advance. So that yes. we can start drumming up some advanced publicity and stuff for you. Um, and I can start working on that as soon as you get me this stuff. So that, that'd be, that'd be amazing. I would love that. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah. Oh no, man. That's, that's the least we can do for you uh, agreeing to do this with us. So man, that's, that's all cool. And then, and uh, like I said, it's just fortuitous that you mentioned August 2nd. I'm glad Dave asked that question. We wouldn't. Have yeah, known. me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can tell I'm really bad at this because I should probably should have led with that. <laughs> <laughs> Buddy, let me tell you something. I have a footprint in the entertainment industry, but I'm actually the worst at promoting myself. Yeah, that's I, I find I'm it very terrible hard. Terrible at it. It's, it's just like I can't pat myself on the back. I, you know, yeah. I, I always try to needle other people to do it. So when I see somebody with a product like yours, I jump on it. But anyway, I know we've got to wrap up. We've been on for over an hour now. So I, I know you got to get back to drinking some more wine on our behalf. <laughs> you know, I got some um, work to do over here. <laughs> uh, agent crew, how many people are on the team, by the way? Yeah, we actually, I mean, we're small but mighty, man. I mean, we've just got six people. We're hoping to onboard a few more. But part of the reason we're able to do that is because we, we outsource our shipping. So if we had, if we did a shipping ourselves, it'd be much larger. Uh, but, you know, we can just keep it super lean. Our site, we've actually custom coded. It's a proprietary, it's a proprietary platform 
And that allows us to automate a lot of the stuff that we would otherwise, you know, need a team of people to do. So nice. we keep it lean, man, wine spies. And that's also how we honestly, that really, really is how we keep our margins down. So we just bring the crazy prices to you guys. So nice, nice, nice. Cool. Yeah. Well, you just mentioned the name of the website, winespies.com. Uh, do you guys have any social media handles you'd like to get out there and promote to? Yeah, absolutely. Everything's wine spies. So, you know, Twitter, Insta, we actually, our TikTok's pretty lively. So it's, it's all wine spies, just one word. Nice, nice, nice. Man, yep. I, I got to tell you, this has been the most fun I've had in a while. Not only did yeah. I learn a lot, I had a lot of fun. Now you got me anxious to go buy a couple of the wines off your site, which I'll probably do shortly since my girlfriend gets home from work. Yeah, you got a new operative. I don't know what you're going to call me, Agent yeah. 99 or whatever. No, that's Maxwell yeah. Smart. Wrong guy. Um, <laughs> I, no, Agent 360, man. Hey, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. I love it. <laughs> cool. Well, again, we really, really appreciate you doing this. And like I said, we'll be in touch. We'll help you with whatever we can. Uh, don't hesitate to reach out if you've got questions or you need something from us. Uh, we'll more than happy to you know, jump in with both feet. And I'm serious about taking this uh, show on the road. We need to come pay you a visit. I- I'm serious too, man. You know where to find me. <laughs> you got it, my up. friend. <laughs> All right, cool. It's been right, a pleasure. Buddy. All right. All right. Thank-, thank you so much for doing this. And we have been talking to, I'm going to call him Agent Crew. I'll let you figure out his real name because he- we've mentioned it several times throughout this podcast. So uh, on behalf of my dear friend, Dave Cumberbatch, uh, we will see you next Monday on another edition of TripCast 360.